Words are powerful and important to recognize. God speaks, Satan speaks, people speak. How do we glorify God with our speech? Speaking like Christ, not Satan. Building up in love, not destruction. Being a child and a friend of God, not of Satan. Welcome back to church and thank you for joining me. We continue in James, James chapter 3 now, James chapter 3, please turn there. <clears throat> James is after Hebrews, before First and Second Peter, at the back of your Bibles. I'm excited about today's message, and I've got a lot to share with you. It may be convicting, but it can also be very encouraging. It can also be another test of faith. And it's all about our words, our mouths, our tongues. As you probably know already, the book of James spends a lot of time, probably close to a third of the book, devoted to the words we speak, how we speak, and why we speak. As I'm sure you also know, words are powerful. Speaking of James, and before heading into today's topic, James practically and faithfully reminds Christians, all of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, how we are to live. From perseverance to true, true faith to controlling one's tongue to submitting to God's will and having patience, this book is a great reminder to Christians everywhere to live authentically and to live wisely for Christ. Now, speaking of controlling one's tongue, the passage today refers to the tongue as a fire. Fire. Fire may bring forth great life or great destruction, death. <clears throat> You may think, how does fire bring forth life? Have you ever tried having a fall party without a bonfire? It's pretty lifeless as people sit there shivering. Or have you ever seen how prairies or fields may be purposely set ablaze so that they might grow back with new and more life? In a sense, God has almost set our lives on fire with Christ so that we can be new creations living for him through and all we do. But you see, a fire must be a controlled burn, just as a tongue being a fire must be controlled. For just a small spark may start a massive multi-state wildfire. A small word spoken from the tongue may cause irreputable damages, destruction, and death. The tongue, powerful as it may be, also leads us into great sin as well. In fact, it's been said that there aren't many sins that don't involve talking in some way. One theologian states, it is as if all the wickedness in the whole world were wrapped up in that little piece of flesh. <clears throat> Speaking again about the power of something so small to cause such great damage and destruction. And speaking now, on the Great Chicago Fire, on October 8, 1871, it's said that Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern at 8.30 p.m. It's said that the kicked over lantern sparked and led to the Great Chicago Fire. It left 100,000 people homeless, 17,500 buildings destroyed, 300 people dead, and $40 million in damages, all because a cow kicked over a lantern. 
Something small can cause great destruction, great damage, great death, great cost. One small lantern, one small match can burn down a house, a city, a life. And we know here the tongue is compared to a fire as it often sets things ablaze. You see, words are incredibly powerful and may carry in them encouragement for life and or discouragement to death. Let me say that again. Words are incredibly powerful and may carry in them encouragement for life or discouragement to death. Following that thought, how will we use our tongues, our tongues of fire, for good words, words which glorify God and his purpose in and through us? Words may bring healing, salvation, as we're told to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, make a public proclamation, but they also may bring war and destruction. One also once said words, so innocent, innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent and evil they become in the hands of someone who knows how to combine them appropriately. Yes, or inappropriately. Yes, words can be evil and destructive. If you've lived through your school years, especially middle school years, it seems, you know just how true this is. But words can also be great. They can be life-giving, creative, wonderful, encouraging, building up, powerful to glorify God when thought through and used well. Well. Think about that thought. When words are used well, they can bring glory to God. How do we use our words on a daily basis? How do we use our words not to show that we're a child of the world or of Satan, but we are a child and friend of God? Messages of hope, strength, encouragement are often given with, you guessed it, the tongue. Simply think for a moment about a time when someone spoke encouraging and life-giving words to you. How did they do it? With the spoken word, tongues. They may be tongues of fire, but they can still be used for good. And wasn't it absolutely amazing and powerful when somebody spoke into your life in such a way? Tongues are powerful. Our words are powerful. In fact, we know from the book of Genesis that God literally spoke the world into existence. And in Psalms, Psalm 33, 9 We read, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Yes, words are powerful, especially the word of God. Words have power and meaning, and they can be used for great good or bad. One once said the tongue is the most dangerous weapon in the world, more powerful than an atom bomb. An ill-timed or perfectly timed word spoken to another can impact them for their entire lives, for good or bad. Think about that for a moment. You can change the very direction of a person's life simply by the way you speak to them. Maybe this is why James devotes so much time to this subject, and me as well. Let's see what James has to say here. Speaking of Speaking and boasting to and for the glory of God again. That's what we're talking of today. Ironically enough, with our mouths, our words, our tongues. Speaking and boasting to and for the glory of God. And we start with speaking of taming the tongue in James 3, 1 through 5. Please look in your word. 
your copy of the word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, James says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so huge and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, the captain, so also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. James begins by making a point about the judgment of teachers or preachers of which we will incur because of our positions. Which wouldn't make a ton of sense if not connected to the rest of the chapter where we learn just how powerful our words are, our teaching, our tongues. Well, I believe that James and his words, his teaching may be applied to all though because we all use our tongues and speak and teach in some way. But as a teacher, a pastor, I do believe James is trying to acknowledge just how serious this situation is by revealing the weight of responsibility we carry personally. Either way, he immediately moves on in verse 2 by saying, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. In simple terms, if you're able to control your mouth, then he's saying you can control anything. You have reached the end of the journey. You have reached perfection. With this said, I think it's important to admit a lack of perfection here for us all. All of us have said things we wish we could take back or change. Because even though the tongue is such a small part of our bodies, it can have an immeasurable impact. And often on the very people we love the most. One once said, a baby learns to speak in two years, but it takes 50 years to learn to shut his, his mouth and control his tongue. James goes on to give three practical examples of how powerful the tongue is in verses 3 to 5. About how something so large and powerful is controlled by a comparably tiny thing. A horse's bit, the rudder of a ship, and even a small fire are all used to make a big point. James, in essence, is saying the tongue is more dangerous than a runaway horse or a storm at sea. I believe that was J. Vernon McGee that said that. But also see this in his illustration. All of these things are ultimately under the control or will of something else. It's a good reminder that we do have a role to play in all of this. We have a responsibility for our words, our tongues, and the choice to use them for profit, for building up, for exalting, for encouragement, for good, and to the glory of God, or destruction in the kingdom of God. This is our choice. Our words are under our control. The question is, will you step up and take the responsibility seriously? Seeing what is at stake, God's glory, and the potential for great life encouragement or death and destruction. 
And what is the potential for disaster? Why is this such a big deal? Just read verses 3 to 6. Three, six, and think about all the ways the tongue is described in simply one verse. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. A fire, a world of unrighteousness, set among our members, all the members of our bodies, staining the whole body, This one member has the ability to stain and pollute all the other members of the body with a tongue, a tongue of fire. Setting on fire the entire course of life, this shows that the tongue has the ability to spread evil beyond just the individual and literally to everything in its sphere of influence. Set on fire by hell, the word says. The tongue has unique potential, quite possibly, to unleash hell on others when used sinfully and not for God's glory. Let me say that again. The tongue has a unique potential to quite possibly unleash hell on others when used sinfully and not for God's glory. That's pretty intimidating, isn't it? That whole list, this whole verse is pretty blunt. And I think it's important to see the point James is trying to make. And I think it's clear. No sinful human has been able to tame The tongue. We must always be at war with our words. James says in verses 7 to 10, for every kind. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. One pastor said on Sundays, our singing may sound like angelic praise, but during the week like demons, hell-bent for destruction. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. When we curse others and then sing praises out of the same mouth, it sends the wrong message to others. But worst of all, it reminds us of our inherent sinful nature we all fight against. Yes, we are all new creations. Yes, we are being sanctified. And yes, God will bring us through trial and suffering all the way to perfection. But our words often remind us in very painful ways just how despicable we can be to another And the words often show the heart. The words show what's on the inside. So enough talk. Let's be doers and not hearers only. How do we move from hurtful and damaging, non-God-glorifying tongues? Well, let's look to point two. We must righteously live for the love of God and his people. Live for his kingdom Glory. Please follow along in James 3, 13, 4 to 10, as we see some instructions. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, to, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. <clears throat> There's some pretty powerful instructions here and warnings. So what's the fix to all this ugliness, the solution, the antidote to the problem? James says it's humility, meekness, kindness, looking to serve the Lord and looking to his wisdom from above. He says in 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And the word exalt means to lift up or raise up. But it's about wanting something beyond yourself. I truly believe from Scripture we see that it's about wanting to love God and his people. Lift up him, them, glorify most God with the tongue. Isn't it true that so many of our arguments, divisions stem from a place where we want something? Where we have a hole that we think needs filled or we're speaking of our own goodness instead of the goodness of God, others, and humbling ourselves. Again, so much of our speaking is from our own desires or our wants. We must humble ourselves before the Lord to be exalted. Humble ourselves before the Lord for his glory. So often we want peace and contentment, yet somehow, ironically, we cause destruction and despair. James says in 4, 11 to 12, do not speak evil against one another. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Friends, church, we must weigh our words carefully. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Matthew 7, 1 to 2 tells us. So moving on. And to wrap up with one final point before concluding. We must remember to have reverence for the Lord above all things. 
not our own wants or desires. Chapter 4, 13 to 17 finally states, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that tomorrow what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for your mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Where do things like boasting come from? What about our arrogance? You guessed it, often straight out of our mouth. With all these examples that have been given through chapters 3 and 4, I believe it's easy to see why James is so passionate about speaking out here. But this last example brings up something else about our speech that's so important to remember. Having to do with the power and sovereignty of God. How many of us have clearly spoken about all the things we were going to, all the projects we were going to complete, so on and so forth. We often talk as if we have control of the future, as if we can simply speak things into existence. But the truth is, like James says, we are just mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. From dust we came and dust will return. And in light of this reality, what we should be saying is that we will do such and such if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Maybe doing something like this will keep us in the right place and God in his right place. And maybe a little reverence could go a long way. Maybe a little respect for God's sovereignty, both in our hearts and in the hearts of others around us. For the truth is, we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But God does. God knows and he's sovereign. He watches over us from the morning and the evening to the evening. His loving mercy and kindness are fresh every morning. And his word has an awful lot to say about how we should use ours, our words, our tongues of fire. Here are a few more pieces of wisdom for you from just one of the chapters in Proverbs before we conclude. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. A fool's lips walk into a fight. And his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There is death and life in the power of the tongue. We just read that in Proverbs 18. With our mouths, we praise God, the Father, in one setting and curse our neighbor in another. We must keep the tongue in check. I think if James was here with us today, he would say that we as the church, as the body of the Christ, his brothers and the sisters in Christ, we can do better. We can do better. Look to your neighbor beside you and say that we can do better. Better. We can and should use our tongues for the glorification of God, not just ourselves. Show love for God and others with your words.
with your words. But remember, it's not just about watching our mouths at church, at work, at family get-togethers, Hardee's, or Main Street Cafe. We must be humble and kind, using our tongues for God's glory in all ways, all places, all things. And in today's world, that even means places like emails, Facebook, Instagram, and the likes. These are all spaces where we as believers can enter into and shine the light of Christ, have a testimony of the love that is within us. So with that in mind, I want to challenge you this morning, this week, to be even more intentional with your words. Let them be life-giving and uplifting, not cursing of God and his image bearers, but exalting. Let them be encouraging and filled with humility. Let your words come to life this week and set them free to give life and encouragement to others. But most importantly, bring glory to God with the tongue. Bring glory to God with the tongue. I want to encourage you each day this week to find ways to not just use your tongue for yourself, your glorification, but to praise God, love on him, but also love and encourage another each day. Then let's talk about it to each other. Encourage and challenge one another in how you speak. Use your tongues for the glorification of God, not just yourself. Show love for God and others with your words. And remember, the tongue is a fire to control. The tongue reveals the heart. Think about your words from this past week. If you added them all together, have they been God glorifying or damaging? If you could do such a thing. You see, small things show a lot about us. The tongue may confess Jesus as Lord, yet also curse like he is your enemy. We must watch our mouth. Let's pray and close. Thank you for being with me today.